Welcome to The Path. I'm your host, Luke Hastings, and today we have a very special guest walking alongside us, Ken Harrison. Ken is the chairman and CEO of Promise Keepers. If you don't know what Promise Keepers is, you might want to ask your dad because Promise Keepers has been a huge impact in the older millennials, the earlier Gen Xers, and was a powerful voice in their era of what it means to be a man, what is a good man, the very questions that Gen Z and millennials are asking right now are the answers that Promise Keepers offered. A powerful, powerful organization with some crazy God stories that I remember my dad leading men to as well back when he was a pastor. Ken was not the founder of Promise Keepers. He actually took over more recently and has a really cool history and background. Ken cut his teeth in the policing world in the LAPD, 77th Division, very violent, very dangerous place. He has a lot of experience with being good at being a man, as well as the pursuit of being a good man, to reference some kind of Jack Donovan lingo there. Ken is the author of multiple books, two of which are in my library, Rise of the Servant Kings and A Daring Faith in a Cowardly World. I was stoked to talk to Ken to kind of bridge his new vision for promise keepers into my generation. Because guys, let me tell you, Ken is not messing around. He is definitely going to speak on biblical topics, but it's not going to be with that churchy feel that you're probably used to. You're going to notice in this interview, he is very real. He addresses issues head on, and he unearths part of the scriptures that we don't always like to teach on and parts of Jesus, parts of what God cares about that we don't talk about enough. And I think you guys are really going to enjoy his fresh take on a topic that is very near and dear to our hearts. What would you say was a moment for you when you realized manhood is in trouble? Specifically, manhood is becoming soft, manhood is becoming weak. Because I know in, in your past, you know, on the LAPD, you saw a lot of the the macho bravado gone wrong, right? It probably wasn't a lot of passivity that you were arresting. <laughs> it was right. a lot of activity in the wrong way, right? So you saw that side, which is, I think, very key in making you a voice that I respect because a lot of guys are more theorists, right? You've, you've seen both sides. But when, when did you really start realizing, hey, as a whole, we're becoming too soft? What was, what was that moment for you? That's such a good question, man. Honestly, two things. My sons who they're not soft, um, they're studs. But as they started talk, telling me about stuff, I was just shocked the way- what, What's their age range? 25 and 22. Okay. So 25 year old was a college wrestler, just a loving, sweet guy, but dude, he could break people in half, you know what I mean? Like he's just that kind of guy, like just, I always, I always said about Hunter, I go, you know, you're, you're the most dangerous guy in the bar because you're just sweet, just so sweet. Always smiling, the most gentle guy in the world, and he is absolutely a brutal warrior. <laughs> you know, you yep. wouldn't know until you picked a fight with him. And That's then awesome. Coleman, my, my other son's a hunter, hiker. He just yesterday climbed into the 14er in Colorado. He's just majorly outdoors and just loves Jesus. But mm. um, I think them telling me what was going on with their generation, I was mm. like, whoa. Like, mm. I was talking to Coleman years ago. Um, and he was talking about how meeting girls is so difficult. I'm like, what are you talking about? You just walk up and. You ask him for their phone number. He's like, yeah, dude, 
Dad, if you did that, they think you're a freak. I'm like, huh? What do you mean? I mean, you just walk up to a girl that you, that you like and just ask her on a date. Dad, you don't ask girls on a date. I'm like, what? What do you mean you? And he's like, no, no, no. You, you hook up with girls and then you have you have sex with a girl. And then if you've had sex three or four times and you decide you actually like each other, then you might go on a date. I'm like, what? Right. Like, yeah. Oh, that's crazy. Like uh, that, I remember for me, and that Coleman who's telling me that is he's still a virgin. You know, he's he's gonna you know be married pure. He's he's big on that, but. He's like, yeah, Dad. That's why I have such a hard time hanging out with guys, man. I mean, it, 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 the, the, the hookup culture and dude, promiscuous sex effeminizes men. I will say that right now. Amen. Promiscuous sex screws dudes up. Yeah. The second thing that really though got me was when I started running Promise Keepers five years ago. I, I had no idea how bad the church was. Because hmm. you're, you're right. I mean, my friends are military guys and cops, and you know, I don't I don't hang out with a soft group of guys. I started meeting all these pastors everywhere. Um, I do remember, it's a pretty funny story though, maybe the first inclination was when I was taking my daughter, she's 28, and I was taking a look at Christian colleges when she was in high school. So we went to a bunch of the usual Christian schools, and she finally looked at me and goes, Dad, I can't go to any of these schools. And Ashton's a beautiful, blonde, blue-eyed girl, you know. I'm like, why? She goes, these guys are all so effeminate, I can't. I don't know. <laughs> I don't want to be around it. Was like, that a proud dad moment or what? You said, all right, that's my girl. We're that's not right, baby. for anything. Oh, that's good. But uh, then I'm like, okay, let's go look at one more. Let's go look at Liberty University. Ah, oh, dad, I don't want to go. Just give me, just, just, okay. We'll go to D.C. and we'll spend some time together and we'll go to Liberty. So we did. I went to Liberty and I remember the, the cross-country team went running by her with their shorts on, their little sweaty T-shirts, you know. And I remember Ashton just kind of standing there watching them. She looks at me and she goes, I'm home. <laughs> My daughter's like me. But I'm like, man, she was a star for like Christian masculinity. And when she finally saw it at Liberty, and you know, I ended up marrying an amazing man, a husband from Liberty. But dude, as we were touring these Christian schools, I'm looking around going, what's with these guys, man? Whoa. You know? Mm. What's your theory on that? Because it's such a common thread the knee-jerk reaction to, I'll call it third-wave feminism. You know, we can get political and talk about feminism, or we can say, hey, it's done some good, it's done some bad. But the most recent wave of it, where it's like men and women are the same, and we don't just want equal rights, we want to be like the same people and all those kinds of things. In my experience, it's had this effect of like, guys who are trying to come out of effeminacy are repulsed by the church because there's so many effeminate men, Christian men in the church. So it's almost like you're in this false dichotomy of either I'm masculine and I'm not a good Christian, or I have to be weak and be a good Christian. Have you seen that sort of false dichotomy at play? Dude, now we're getting real, man. Yeah, well, so much. Tell me about it. What do you, how do you think that came about? It's because we teach a fake Jesus is why. There you we're go. not teaching. We talked about that a little bit earlier, but we teach Jesus that is an idol and he's not really Jesus. He said Jesus was confrontational. Jesus said, I came to set the world on fire and how I wish it was already alight. He said, I came to turn father against son and mother against daughter. Well, what did he mean by that? He meant, I came to demand you make a choice. You either, demand, you either choose truth or you don't. And if you choose truth, the people who choose not to are going to hate you. That, that's what Jesus has promised. Jesus was extremely strong. And, and I do talk about this a little bit in the book of you think about who Jesus would have been visually. 
he was a, a rock mason. He was a carpenter in a, day, in a day when the Romans had cut down all the trees. You were a carpenter. You were carrying massive rocks and then chiseling those rocks and moving around. Jesus would have been buffed out. I'm not saying he was a big guy or I don't know. But he would have had huge forearms and rough hands and he would have been a big dude. And then who does he get as his disciples? Yeah, he recruits these guys who were fishermen. Fishermen were like pulling up these huge nets all day long. They weren't standing with a pole. All day long, up, down, taking those nets out, cleaning them off. And then you got into a school of fish and the other boats saw you. They would come over and start banging your boat trying to get into that. You were fist fighting. I mean, Jesus was a buffed out, rough guy with a bunch of buffed out, rough dudes walking behind him. You know, this little effeminate Jesus we see walking around like he's on heroin or something, that, that wasn't the case. <laughs> And people will hear me and get offended by it because they have this preconceived notion that they've been fed. This is not true. That's what makes Jesus so amazing is the meekness that was coming from him. That Jesus who was saying, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who mourn. He was a big dude that was gentle and loving and sweet. Now, he's the son of God, so his body type doesn't really matter in eternity, but it does affect our visual. And that's why when we see this scrawny little Jesus that is malnourished walking around, Jesus said, man, I don't. No one takes my life. I lay it down. You try to take it, it's going to be a bad day for you. That's Jesus right. said, hey, the time's to turn your money belt in, or your belt in for a sword. Like, there's some swords, man. I mean, yep. so when we understand that Christianity is to be confrontational over sin, to stand for truth, I mean, Isaiah 117, I think it is, you know, correct the oppressor, stand for justice, plead the widow's cause. Those are confrontational things. Mm. You want to, you want to, correct the oppressor, you're not going to do that by being soft and effeminate. You're going to step and say, dude, you said what to that woman? Mm. We have a problem with each other. That's right. And I used to tell my sons all the time, and the reason why they're, one of the reasons why they're macho guys is I would say, be meek. But in order to really be meek, you have to be strong. That's right. Because if you turn the other cheek because you're afraid, what credit is that to you? That's right. But if you're a, if you're a college wrestler and you turn the other cheek, now you've done something because you could tear that guy down but you choose instead to smile and love him, now you've been meek. That's right. So we need to preach strength as men, be bad to the bone, and then exercise, then choose not to use it. Right. So we, what you're saying is we can't, we can't really obey the command of Jesus to be meek unless we have something to lay down, unless we have some sort of a, a no where we're, we're denying our own strength. But if we don't have strength, we can't really be meek. Yeah, and I want to always be careful because I'm really working hard to demachoize Christian men's ministry. And every time you go to a Christian man's thing, it's some dude with a sword. I'm like, I can't think of the last time I wielded a sword, you know? Right, right. <laughs> it's sword fighting exercises. You know, and I've often said, look, I want, I want the cult, the Christian man, like the, the brand of the Christian man to be like Atticus Finch and To Kill a Mockingbird. You know, one of the greatest books ever written. And if you see the movie with Gregory Peck. But here's a guy who's a lawyer, who's a single dad who a black man in the 1930s is falsely accused of rape and Atticus Finch stands against the whole town and defends the man and, and he's loving to his kids and there's nothing macho in him. He never uses a bad word. He never uses violence. He's out there in his rocking chair reading his Bible with his pipe, giving his kids wisdom. That's a man. So right. I'm not saying you've got to be macho and strong and a black belt or any of that stuff, but what I'm saying is there's lots of ways to be strong. You can be intellectually strong. You can be a really big intellectual and really know things and then choose not to shred people with your knowledge, but to be gracious and gentle. But I am saying, be a man, be strong in your spirit. 
and then use that to exercise gentleness. That's when you've become meek. That's right. Yep, it's this idea of backbone. It's not so much muscles as it is fortitude and spirit. Yeah. Since we're talking about marriage for sure. men, let's talk, let's talk about sex because, I mean, if we don't talk about sex, then, right, it's the only thing that separates marriage from any other relationship is sex, which That's right. people hear that and they go, what? Yeah, sex is, is that precious. It's the two becoming one flesh, and that's why sex outside of marriage is such an egregious sin against the Lord. Paul says sexual sin is the worst sin. The sins are different. Sin condemns us all to, to eternity away from God. But individual sins, they are vastly different. They are not all the same. And Paul right. says sexual sins are the worst. But um, again, talking about men and women being different, I would say you as a man, as a leader, you, you need to communicate with your wife about sex. And dude, you, you said insecurity, and it got me thinking about how many guys, you know, their wife isn't having sex when they want to because they don't understand the situation and then they get resentful and they're a jerk, which makes her want to have sex less. And you have this endless spiral. And I cannot tell you how many guys that are 20 to 70 who complain to me they don't have sex enough with their wives, right? I just had this one guy tell me that his wife had a surgery and they hadn't had sex since her surgery five years ago. And I'm like, have you talked to her about it? Or I could never do that. So. Well, you can do it with her, but you can't talk to her about it. I go, maybe she feels ugly. Maybe she feels like you don't want her. I mean, maybe you need to tell her you're beautiful and I'd really like to have sex with you and I'm not sure why we aren't. I mean, and if you're instigating it, what's she doing? Well, I don't really instigate it. And so as a leader, as a man, you need to instigate sex. And again, we swallow this thing that men and women are the same and they're not. And I'll give you a story that is just helpful in one regard. I remember sure. when our kids were young, and I was like in my early 30s, so my sex drive was through the roof. You know, and I remember getting home from work. I'd always get home at five o'clock so that I could get spend time with the kids, and I'd get to the office super early so I could spend a long day at work. But then, you know, the whole process of being with the kids and then getting to bed took forever. Is you know, younger guys are gonna, right now like bedtime prayers, reading my book. It was this whole process, and then I finally get them all to bed around seven thirty or something, and my wife would be kind of pawing at me and grabbing at me, and you know, all that affectionate and. Now I'm finally just getting to come down from work and then the kids. And so I'm just sitting there and I just want to chill out and read a book or watch TV or whatever for a few hours. And then around 9 or 9.30, okay, what time to have sex? Well, now she's asleep. And so you know, finally I just asked her, you know, babe, you're all, you're all worked up at 7.30. And at 9.30, you're asleep. She's like, yeah. Well... I don't understand. She's what do you mean you understand? At night at seven thirty I'm in the mood and at nine thirty I'm tired. Oh. Actually, see for a man, once your motor gets going, it doesn't turn off. Right. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. But there was news for me. Oh, for a woman it does turn off. She's like, Yeah, I mean I might be in the mood at seven thirty, at seven forty five I'm not in the mood anymore. I'm like, well, that just doesn't happen with a guy. Right? But communicating, oh, you wanna have sex with my wife? Once the kids go to bed, that's kind of the time to, to do it. You know what I mean? Right. If you're not communicating about that, it just creates so many problems. As I just say for a man, as a leader, it's your responsibility to take, be proactive on that and just explain the differences, you know, and mm -hmm. understand that we're differently created, man. I mean, guys have a, just, they're just ready to go at any time on a schedule. For women, man, they want to feel safe and protected and the situation's great and you know, all that there's just, we're just two different kinds of people. And as long as we understand that and we're proactive as men and communicate with our wives about stuff in a loving, understanding way, 
you know, marriage is a whole lot easier. Amen. Such a good point. It's like building that mm-hmm. environment, working so hard at, you know, at the job, the boss, the kids, you know, the chores, like the mowing the lawn, whatever it is, the honey-do list, all those things create this structure for her to relax into that soft, open, feminine state. And that's worth the reward, but she's not going to be ready for that level of intimacy unless she's in that state. And to your point, it's not an all-day, everyday thing, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? So we got to talk about it, and that's the that's the beautiful part of the responsibility of the husband is creating that place so that she can relax into that, right? Because exactly. to your point, you know, sometimes she's not relaxing into that maybe because we haven't affirmed her, we haven't loved her, we haven't validated her and, and praised her, right? So she's kind of on edge and is not going to be able to feel sexy or feel full open for intimacy. So such a good word with that. Women and men are different. We got to remember that, you know? Yeah. And our culture is constantly trying to tell us that we're not. Mm, you know? So true. And unfortunately, I'm sure you've noticed, but increasingly as we swallow that lie, it becomes true. And we become more similar, you know, as we believe, oh, we're not so different after all. You have more masculine acting women, more feminine acting men, um, which, I mean, nothing will kill sexual intimacy like that when we're flip-flopping. Hey, y'all, just wanted to take a moment and thank the sponsor of today's episode, which is myself. This show is actually a part of the Narrow Way Man brand, which is my online outlet to provide wisdom, motivation, and practical guidance for modern men. I've been blessed to take part in incredible transformations and breakthroughs with younger and middle-aged men who are in a season of crisis or a season of stagnation and are ready to make a big change, but are fed up with trying irrelevant churchy principles or recycled secular strategies that are void of biblical foundations. If you are a man who is truly ready to take responsibility and break out of your current plateau, there is a link in the show notes to apply for a coaching program. Thanks again for listening, and let's get back to the show. I know you're not on social media much, but a lot of the guys in my space are so confused by there's a really big healthy push for men's mental health. There's a big healthy push for men to be in touch with their emotions and process those effectively, right? Um, Because we've seen what's happened, you know, more in your generation and the prior generation of these warriors, LAPD, military, whatever it may be, that they carry these scars and they carry these wounds and they don't ever stop and heal. And the kind of damages and uh, emotional traumas that can bring out. But now, man, we've swung the other way. And my generation, millennials and, and Gen Z, just the guys are just these puddles of emotion. And um, we're, we're, we, we don't have that balance of, to your point, yes, open up with your wife, share with her what's going on, but don't whine. Don't become this mess because she doesn't need another child. She needs, she needs a leader. That's the, the role you're supposed to play. Um, so that's a really good, simple mantra with that. She doesn't need another child. Yeah, and that whole emotion thing, you're right, man. It's gotten way overplayed. And uh, there's, you know, bottling things up isn't isn't the greatest thing. But also, you know, expressing your emotions to everybody who walks by isn't either. Self-control has a part of it. And I obviously, you know, I'm ex-LA cop and Marine Corps OCS and all that stuff. 
I've been around a lot of warriors. And I will tell you that um, having seen the worst stuff there is, man, I mean, been through the worst and, and shootings and fights to the death and all this kind of stuff, sometimes you, you, my wife did not have the capacity to understand what I was talking about when I went to her. I, I remember when I was a cop, I would average over two felony arrests a day. I would average over taking one gun off the street per day. I mean, foot pursuits and vehicle pursuits and shootings, and it was crazy. My wife was managing a jewelry store at the time, and her jewelry store got burglarized. It was down in Irvine, you know? And so she was just traumatized, you know? These, there were bad guys who broke into our store and they took some jewelry. Now, to a guy going through what I go through, you know, big deal. But to her, that was a big deal. Like, and so I remember, thank God I actually had the wisdom to listen to her and acknowledge, yes, that was a big deal to you. But my wife didn't need me to go home and tell her, man, I was just in, in a rolling around in the gutter today. I mean, I used to come home with broken watches all the time. I mean, my mm -hmm. watches were always just shattered, you know, as I'm in the gutter and, oh, you broke another watch. Yeah, it's just, you know, work. But she didn't need to know, well, yeah, I was, and this guy had a knife and he was trying to stab me in the throat with it. And I, you know, finally wrestled away and got my gun. She doesn't need to know all that stuff. So, um, sharing your emotions, I think it would be choose the right source. And frankly, this is a bigger issue. This is where discipleship is so important. Amen. This is where we need older men. The Bible strictly teaches older men teach the younger men, older women teach the younger women. We need to have older men listening and pouring into younger men. That's the guy you want to be sharing your crap with. Amen. Not your wife. I mean, some things, yes, but man, if you're, you need to find an older guy. And because I, I tell you, because our culture has become so effeminized, not, not feminine, I mean the bad word, the bad version of it. Every child needs a, two parents, a fa mother and a father. Because mom is there to say, little Johnny skinned his knee, oh, let me kiss it, it's better, some, put some Bactine and a Band-Aid on it, it's gonna be okay, Johnny. And that's great. But every once in a while, little Johnny needs dad to go, yeah, you're not hurt that bad, get up and keep going. And that's then right. he goes, oh, I'm not that hurt. And he keeps running. That's right. Well. We need that in, as, as men as well. There are times when there are times to, to talk to your wife about, and there are times when you go need to go to our men, and they need to listen. And every once in a while, that older man needs to go, stop your freaking whining. You know? Yeah, your dad sucked. Okay. But what are you going to do about it? Like, now you're a dad. Now you're a husband. Stop whining about your dad. Understand there's some pain there. But, but don't obsess on that. Who are you to your kids? And we used to learn that in the LAPD was, you have a partner, we always said two men cars. You chew up the meat and spit out the bones. Meaning every partner has good things to bring to you and every partner's gonna have things about him that you're gonna be, I don't wanna be like that guy, mm -hmm. right? Well, each man should be that same way in all of his relationships, okay. My dad taught me some ways maybe to be a man and he also taught me some ways not to be a man. That's right. And let me know the difference and not obsess and whine about him. Um, one, of my, one of my gripes is well, it's a, it's a gripe, but it's also a call to arms, right? Is like the church of, of late is more known for what we abstain from than that which we do, right? Where it's a bunch of don'ts. It's not a bunch of do's. And the thing I like about your book, uh, specifically the a Daring Faith in a Cowardly World, is bringing back the do's, bringing back the call to arms of like, we, we have a calling, a proactive calling. It's not just don't cuss, don't sleep around, don't lie, don't steal, that's all. That's almost like a side note. It's all about what we should be doing, you know. 
The, the don'ts are to teach us that we need Jesus. And then after we have Jesus, it's all about the doing. So Hebrews chapter 11, I think I said this in the book, the Hall of Faith. It's, it's a list of people who are completely jacked up. Like they're just the most screwed up list of people. It's Rahab the prostitute. It's Jephthah who came home and murdered his daughter because he thought he was doing well by the Lord and all this. But those people all had a few things in common. Number one, they were all screwed up. They all sinned really badly. Number two, they all repented. And number three, none of them ever backed down from a fight. Mm. They were all people of action. Mm. And we have elevated in the church people of inaction. Don't screw up. Don't do anything wrong. Um, let, let's all, and that, that is not at all kind of the theme we've been talking about here today. And if you look at Malachi chapter 2 is a fascinating chapter. So people are like, oh yeah, Malachi chapter 2. I read Malachi all the time. But <laughs> um, Malachi is actually a really great short book. It's the last book of the Old Testament. And in there, God's talking about how much all the priests suck. He's like, you priests, you're not standing for truth. You make me want to puke. You're, you're just, he's using really strong words. And then he says, be like my son, Levi, because grace and wisdom were found in his lips. And he just goes on about how great Levi was. Well, okay, who's Levi? What do you know about Levi? Well, Levi was one of the 12 sons of Jacob. And Jacob was... A guy that often didn't, he was more worried about what people thought of him than doing what's right sometimes, kind of right. like today, social media. So his daughter Dinah gets raped. This is in, Gen, I think Genesis 31, 32, something like that. Da daughter Dinah gets raped. So the guy who raped her liked raping her so much that he went to his, his dad and said, hey, buy me this girl as my wife so I can rape her whenever I want to. Right? So they go and they're negotiating with Jacob. And the boys come in from the field. The, the patriarchs come in from the field. And they can't believe Jacob is sitting there negotiating, selling his daughter off to the guy who just raped her. And Levi is kind of upset by this. And he goes, you know what, man? Okay. Yeah, I'll buy off. And the, the brothers are looking at him like, huh? And he's like, but you guys got to get circumcised first, you and the whole town. And then if you get circumcised, then, and they're like, okay. So the, this prince goes back and says, hey, I really want this girl. So everyone in town's going to get circumcised. So two days later, at the height of their pain, or three days later, Levi and Simeon go to town and they kill everybody, every man in town. And then he rescues Dinah. So Dinah's been locked away. She's a prisoner. He's rescued her. He slaughtered all the men. He brings her back to Jacob. And Jacob goes, what did you do? You brought trouble on me today. So imagine, Dinah just got rescued from her rapist. And her dad's reaction is, you brought me trouble. Mm. And Levi looks at his dad and says, should we have let him treat our daughter, our, our sister, like a whore? Mm. That's the end of the story until 40 years later. Jacob is now blessing the patriarch. He's on his deathbed and he goes, Levi, you, you brought me trouble. You won't have any inheritance in Israel. Curse you. Well, it's, he was right. Levi didn't have any inheritance in Israel. He ended up becoming the, the father of the priestly tribe. And all of Israel got one twelfth of the, the land except for Levi. They got one tenth because everybody had to give to them. So the Levitical tribe got the most. God's saying, look at Levi, be like Levi. And what do we know about Levi? That's the only thing we know about him. And when he saw injustice, he stepped in. It may have been overzealous. Maybe not every man in town needed to be killed. I mean, that's not the point of the story. The point of the story is God saying, look at this guy. Bold, standing for truth, standing for honor and justice for his sister. Man. That's, that's what we see over and over in the Bible, is people standing up for the oppressed, standing up for justice truly, not waving a sign 
and, and, and bashing a window in and stealing some free jeans. That's not standing for justice. Standing for justice is going out and fighting abortion. Standing for justice is going out and saying, this transgender movement, they're using a tiny, tiny little pop percentage of population who's very emotionally screwed up. And now they're using that to foist sex changes on little girls and little boys because hospitals are making $75,000 per, per couple hour um, operation and calling it justice. And the men of God need to start standing up and saying, you did what? You know, here in Colorado, they, they say to first graders when they come to school, we have a, a governor who is an absolute pervert. And when you get to first grade, they ask you, what gender do you want to be? Are you sure, Johnny? Are you sure you're a boy? Yeah, I'm a boy. Well, mm. you could be a girl. Imagine what that's doing to this younger generation. Where are the men standing up against this and saying, there are some people who are transgender who, who need love and support and they need our grace. They're a tiny part of the population. There is a vastly bigger group of people using them to, to add a greed to make money and screwing up our young kids. Mm. What are we doing about it? Mm -hmm. yep. That's a powerful call to action to end on. Um, any, any final thoughts for the listeners? Um, kind of a billboard statement for, for the guys. Yeah, can I say this? You know, I think a lot of men live in condemnation. Uh, and I will tell you that uh, we all, all face trauma in our childhood, all of us. And Satan uses that trauma to beat you up for the rest of your life. And he will beat you up and say, you know, it's your fault you were sexually abused. Or it's, you know, you're, you failed and you'll always fail. And I would just say so many young men, so many old men don't feel secure in who they are. God said he's our father, our heavenly father. He loves us. A father will never for, for throw you out of the family. And that prodigal son's father, no matter how screwed up that kid was, as soon as he repented and turned towards his dad, he found his dad running to him and picking him up, saying, my son's come home. Let me just say to every man out there, no matter how bad you screwed up, no matter how bad things are, or no matter how much self-condemnation you have on you, stop it. Turn to your heavenly father and say, today, I no longer am going to be that. I'm no longer going to be the victim of a bad father or sexual abuse or whatever I went through. I give you all today. Tell me what I have. And God's going to say, I value men of action. Go out and do action. And when you, when you actually make things happen, you're going to screw up. And you know what? I'm going to love you. We're going to walk through that. But who were the heroes in the Bible? They were the men who did stuff, not the men who sat around talking about stuff or in their library being intellectuals and studying the Bible the most. It was the guys who went out and changed the world. Anybody listening to this can be that man who changes the world. First, stop your self-condemnation, stop your self-doubt, shut off the voice of the devil who condemns you all the time, and turn to God and say, I won't live in sin anymore. I'm not gonna be addicted to pornography anymore. I'm not going to sit around in my, in my guilt. I'm not gonna sit around in my condemnation. I'm not gonna sit around and dwell on how people screwed me over, all that's over. I'm a new man today. I'm gonna to follow Jesus Christ and I'm gonna be a man of action. Uh, that, that's what I would say to end. Amen, brother. Thank you for your time here. Thank you for listening. If this episode was valuable to you, I will probably never know that unless you do me the favor of leaving a five-star review and hitting the follow button for this podcast. Doing that is going to let me know to keep producing this kind of content, and it's going to help other people just like you discover it as well. I appreciate your support and look forward to seeing you next time 
on the path. To hear the full interview between Ken and myself, be sure to head over to the Narrow Way Man YouTube channel.